Welcome to Courageous Conversations, a podcast exploring the intimate side of activism. I'm Gillian Riley. And I'm Jen Warren. And through these interviews, we seek to understand what it really takes to show up and make change during this critical time in history. In an effort to become more effective change makers. Yes. Ultimately, our aim is to promote authentic engagement as a vital component of social justice and social change. Today I'm speaking with Rihad Desai, a documentary filmmaker and producer, and the CEO of Uhuru Productions. Riyadh has produced over 20 films to date, including Born Into Struggle, Minor Shot Down, and The Giant is Falling. Born Into Struggle, which received international acclaim at the 2004 Cannes Film Festival, is his most personal film. The film follows the life of Riyadh's father, ANC activist Barney Desai, and the impact that South Africa's struggle against apartheid had on Riyadh's childhood and who he has become today. Minor Shot Down, Riyadh's most well-known film and a 2015 International Emmy Award winner, tells the tragic story of the 2012 police massacre of 34 miners in Marikana, South Africa, who were fighting for higher wages and a better life. Riyadh's stories are at once intimate and universal, and through them he seeks to not only prompt reflection, but to forge a new kind of human connection. My name's Rihard Desai, and I'm a storyteller that makes films and lives in Johannesburg, a father, a husband, and a son. So when you were walking in, you were talking about you know, people being afraid of being vulnerable with you. Mm. And that's so much of what these courageous conversations are actually about, is finding mm. that vulnerable space, whatever it looks like. But I'm curious, because you've been on both sides. You've been on the receiving end of someone's vulnerability and holding it. And you yourself have also made yourself vulnerable in front of a camera. What is your own experience of sitting with vulnerability? whether it's yours or someone else's. Mm. Well, the context was a family film and I couldn't really explore the psychologies of my siblings without having it done to me in a way. You know, it's a self-exploration because we came to what I needed to be asked on camera, to camera. I mean, in the writing of that film was particularly difficult because I had to unearth a number of my own emotional turmoil revisit following my father's death. There was a lot of tears in the writing and looking at the family history and what my siblings went through and stuff. But it worked because you could feel the emotion that the text evoked emotion and that's what we aim for. There's an intimacy to it, there's a realness to it. I think the art to that is getting people to forget the cameras on, you know, to forget that they're in some sort of interview and they're going to be beamed out to millions of people. I mean, it's a scary prospect. So it's knowing their story as well as them, if not better. That intersection between identity and issues and the personal and to explore that space of how we play out the bigger issues, etc. Having been the subject of the film, mm. You know, you know that the personal story is how you told the bigger story. Mm. And with every one of your films, essentially, that's what you're doing. You're, mm. you're using personal to illuminate something mm. much bigger. Does being the subject of the film help shape how you approach filmmaking? Do you have an empathy for your characters because you yourself have been a character in one of your own films? Yeah, I mean, I think I chose filmmaking because of my troubled upbringing, my troubled childhood and family context. 
I find it very healing to be able to put myself in someone else's shoes, to think with them. But what's required is also a level of trust and a chemistry that can't always be built. So I find those characters that I am able to bring alive and illuminate bigger things than just their own personal stories, things that are universal, are where that trust and chemistry is. That takes time. But it also takes commitment to our common humanity. So, You've talked about how you see these stories as a means of opening up dialogue, of mm. asking and answering the question, who are we and where are we going? There are the means through which we start to understand people who we would otherwise consider other. Talk about that, you know, stories as the means through which change can occur. The aim is to get people into dialogue with themselves through the film. So it's a diagogic process that's happening and that's what's stimulating about watching documentary. It's not about the action per se, it's about what you're seeing, hearing, feeling, working together in two-way conversation with the film and subjects. It's the emotional universe of the story where they learn the deepest. I like that term emotional universe, particularly when many of our conversations, as you said, are issues-led, or films can be issue-led, mm -hmm. activism is issues-led, mm -hmm. and there's a whole universe of emotions behind that that mm -hmm. doesn't often get illuminated or explored. And that's where the human connection comes from. What do you do to build that trust with somebody so much that they let you into their emotional universe? I seek people out often who are in a fight or a conflict of one sort or another. Sometimes it's internal, but it's mainly external. <laughs> when you focus on how people feel and try and establish a relationship based on that rather than what they think, it's easier to start developing a more meaningful relationships because you're moving from a space where you're not judging. Everybody has a right to feel and all feelings are valid. So trying to He's sensitive, but it's not always easy because it's a tough old world and mm. it demands that your antenna, your emotional antenna is working at full capacity. <laughs> yeah. Having watched your film about your relationship with your father, to hear you describing this interest in an emotional universe because mm. you depict a childhood shaped by the lack of emotion, shaped by issues. There was a lack of emotional engagement. How much do you think that issue-led <laughs> youth brought you to a place that focuses on emotion? When you grow up in that sort of environment, which is rather chaotic, and you see your main primary caregivers going through what they are, mm. you know, very difficult emotional turmoil, and it becomes a very stressful environment. That determines your wiring in your head. And that wiring sets as you get older, as you go through your teens. We now know, you know, there's a big connection between the biological and the psychological sciences and can only lead me to conclude that I remain a working progress when it comes to my own human development, my own emotional development. It requires on my part to stay in touch with myself, to remind myself that I need to be in constant dialogue and to nurture myself. And without that, I become a terrible human being to be around. So my emotional well-being is, has to be at the forefront of my agenda for me to be as effective a human being 
as I can, meaning a reasonable husband, a good father, a good brother, someone who's good to work with, and yeah. And a good activist? I mean, would you use that label to describe yourself? Yeah. I think part of the problem with the world of activism is there are a lot of social cripples that slip into activism to try and uh, fix themselves in some way, to feel better about themselves. They're fighting uh, the good cause and completely look down on any notion of self-nurturing, self-care, psychological support. But I think the most effective activists are those human beings that struggle to be as whole as they can, uh, to be as rounded as they can. Those are the really effective communicators. And activism at the end of the day is about communication. It's about manipulating. All that means literally is pulling people towards you, towards your truth, trying to get them to understand what the issues are, what the depths of the issues are, and how we can confront them, how we can begin to start asserting some control over our own destiny. And that's the bulk of the work of any activist, really. So yes, I do consider myself an activist. I mean, I went into film because I just felt instinctually that I always loved stories and storytelling, and I think it's a natural human need to hear stories, to bear witness. And in bearing witness, we're often forced to grow. So that's what took me into film. Political filmmaking is probably one of the hardest things to do, one of the most difficult things to succeed in, because how do you use the emotional universe, the story universe, to bring the politics Mm. forward, you know, the big political questions that we face, all of us face. Mm. And your wholeness as an activist and your wholeness as a filmmaker in the context of your history is almost the most revolutionary act of all, <laughs> because what you were describing is, you know, a history of struggle of people who are broken, and so in some ways cannot have the influence, whereas what you're describing is something that's a very different kind of encounter pulling people towards you at an emotional level instead of almost pushing people away. Mm. That's the thing that breaks the pattern. And that's the thing that starts to shift the nature of your relationships, whether as a filmmaker or otherwise, that's what you bring that mm. perhaps your father and others of that generation didn't. Yeah. One of the most difficult things in growing up was watching my father self-destruct, mm. watching someone self-destruct in front of you. And constantly being disappointed when you're appealing for him to stop and he doesn't right so i didn't want to put my child through that what happens to you is you turn inward and you think you can get by solely on your own resources just shouldering on it leads to a strong will in some instances agency but it's not self-sustaining right. we are social animals we do need one another the strength of our existence is really the soil in which we grow and that soil is essentially our relationships with other people and if you can't have healthy relationships i don't think you're ever going to have any reasonable level of contentment and i think we also discover ourselves through our relationships with others so yeah that was a large part of my own emotional journey and development as a person that demanded, I suppose, in a way that I leave activism for a while because I was just like my father. So I don't sit around and blame my father. Say, what a shitty father I had and uh, poor me. I mean, there's a context to this. They were fighting a very vicious, brutal system 
So yeah, having children, trying to make my relationships work in the early years was very difficult. Learning how to parent. I thought it was a very brave choice for you to put yourself in the middle of a generational story that was basically replicating patterns. You know, for me, that mm. was actually probably the most powerful takeaway. It wasn't just, as you say, quote unquote, look at my shitty father. It was, mm. oh wait, I'm a shitty father. <laughs> mm. Mm. I mean, the story could have stopped with you looking back and you would have come out clean, if you will. But yeah. to admit that... Well, it's not believable, is it? No, and it's not. We're all fallible. Right. And I think that's what people relate to. Yep. Uh, in all stories, is they're much more human when you see the fallibility and the flawed nature of people. We're all flawed. And if you're doing a film, a family film, about interesting stuff, in order for people to become sympathetic to your own kith and kin, they need to see the flaws. Sure. Now, how are you going to do a film you just show the flaws about your siblings and your parents, but you leave yourself untouched? It's yeah. like doesn't fly with most people, yeah. certainly the more intelligent ones. But also an intimate portrait of masculinity. The generational effects of toxic masculinity, the incredible emotional limitations put upon you and then your son by just not showing up. Mm. For me, what was a movie about the struggle was in many ways a movie about how despite everything that was going on out there, there were these households that were suffering. It was amazing the response to this movie because I thought I was making a film about growing up in exile, you know. We were foregrounding the personal impact rather than the political landscape. There were millions of people involved politically <laughs> in South Africa who had very similar stories. Political exile, life in exile, you know, people say, what the hell are you doing showing and saying all these things? You know, you're not representing, certainly not in the way they wanted me to. So, yeah, it was the unflinching honesty, really, that we attempted to achieve in that film. That made it resonate with people and resonate on many levels. Then, and as you say, the people saying, well, I haven't got any politics in my family, political activists, but shit, this is my story. You know what I mean? This is like, yeah. I just so relate to it. So that is a subject that, in one way or the other, runs through all my films. So. What subject? The father-son relationship, in okay. one aspect. So, you know, I keep on coming back to it in various forms. Um, yeah. Does that subject get discussed? The betrayal mm. <laughs> of the father, the betrayal of the older generation. Do you hear young men discussing these subjects through the lens of masculinity, or is that something that women pick up? <laughs> the problem with when men get together, they perform masculinity rather than talk about it, right? True. And you know, male bonding takes on very different forms, and often much of it not particularly positive. But I do think there is a crisis, and it's been going on for a couple of generations now. Mm. It's it's a very different landscape. And I think that, you know, for people like you to come out and discuss your well-being as a starting point for your professional well-being, that's critically important. Mm. Because I don't think a lot of men and boys have been able to say that, you know, been given the space to acknowledge that connection. Boys don't cry. Right. Just sort of shut it down, turn it yeah. off and carry on. Yeah, despite... My youth, you know, it's all about consciousness and progressiveness and being what they call now woke. Um, <laughs> I'm only now consciously working 
with masculinity or positive masculinity was my grandchild. So, you know, not telling him boys don't cry, but encouraging him to cry. Yeah. So there's this theme around relationships, mm. you know, and the building of relationships as this core of change making, be it personal or collective, that mm. it's the forging of those relationships, which again, I just think is such a brilliant antidote to what you've described from your childhood. Coming back to you as filmmaker, mm. what does it take to get someone to sit down and follow somebody's story that they don't know, a Marikana minor if I'm sitting in New York? What do you have to do as a filmmaker to gather attention for these very intimate stories that you want to tell? It's much harder to make a slow burn film than it's ever been. Really now, because of the massive explosion of video material that's mm. out there and available to people, the key thing is you know, tone, pace, rhythm. These are all critical considerations that perhaps more important now, the mm. aesthetics of, mm. what, of what we're doing, because that's what actually tells you, no, this is something that's been thought about, thought through, has production value, will provide some meaning for me in my life. It's just not for fluff. That's why we need story, we need meaning, we need connection. You talk about making meaning. Mm. I wonder what that means to you as a filmmaker. It's our ability to immerse our audience into a world, into a universe, and sometimes different types of universes. And from being immersed in these different types of universe, we come out a bit more enriched, a bit lighter, a bit more intelligent, a bit more fulfilled. But we only immerse if we can connect to the universe. And really, it's because our lives are so alienated at so many levels, we simply don't have enough connection in this world. It's, it's a disconnecting world to live in. And the void we have inside ourselves, film is able to fill in some ways. It's not enough on its own, but that's why we watch, I think, because the voids are substantial. Do you see yourself making meaning for a South African audience primarily, or global audiences? You know, minor shot down when you're telling stories about student movements. Hmm. Is there a universality in the characters and in the themes that you hope will reach people whose lives are not directly affected by those specific subjects? I'll answer bluntly to this one. I mean, the big problem about this is good film, deep film, meaningful film, genuinely takes a long time. Hmm. Ideas don't come on tap. It's an expensive project and there is an expectation that it has universal qualities. Maybe that's for the global south, or it's universal for women, or it's universal for gay people, or it's, or it's right. universal for men, or it works on different levels. The more universal, the better. Yes. Right? That's why personal storytelling is so strong. It's because it's firstly unique, but also when we're speaking personally, we're talking about our lives. And that resonates. Yeah, and I think that there is a growing universality to these issues, the human experience. Yeah. The upside of where we are right now is that the divisions between the global north and south and east and west are giving way. The conflicts that you describe are universal. And I imagine that gives you as a filmmaker just this sense of ambition, dare I say, to explore those spaces in ways that you don't have to say, oh, I'm, I work on South African conflict or... It's a big question you're mm. asking. I mean, uh, it was very difficult for me to 
make any films about South Africa when I first started making documentary. I focused on Zimbabwe, where I spent a bit of time in Mozambique. In the early years of our transition, to be critical of my own government, of my own society, tremendously challenging. But I got there and it's quite difficult making the sort of films I want to make with South African money. I'm dependent on external international mm. financing and that means my films have to work outside of South Africa. But if you want your films generally to travel outside of these geographical limitations, it needs either to be a big picture story or a small story. And often we say the smaller the story, the more universal the story. So mine is shot down, you know, a very successful film, continued commentary on the film from the screenings in 50 countries or so. We know this story, this is our story. Well, exploitation and yeah, abuse of power. Absolutely. Right. Not in the details, I mean. No, but. That's the only thing really which makes story unique is the details. Right. It's been described as devastating on a number of levels. So, you know, it took the International Emmy and the national pride that that evoked <laughs> to get a debate about TV screening going again in South Africa. So uh, sometimes you get lucky and there's a zeitgeist around the film and it sells and stuff, but those are rare. Now, we make these films for them to be seen. The more the people that see it, the merrier. And particularly with an important film like this, we were just so encouraged by people wanting the film subtitled into all these various languages. So the demand for it to be seen was just awesome. And for, as an activist then, who believe that stories are a mechanism for change making, let's use that example. So what? You told the story, people are watching it. What is, is more people are going to exploit the poor, and so it goes. Do you ever feel a sense of futility in mm. putting these stories out there and, well done, lovely story, moving yeah. on? So for me, because it's so hard and finding a vision for the film, finding a way to articulate what the vision is, convincing people to support the vision, and then trying to fulfill the vision. It's not worth it for someone with my headspace if I don't think the film's got a reasonable shelf life and is going to get people asking the questions about their own reality. You know, we try and flip the liberal paradigm on its head where it's about a victim or, or something. Really, what I'm seeking in my stories is agency. Where are people struggling to change and shape their own destiny. What are the lessons that's coming across through telling that story, their story, in that instance? So I'm trying to find a space, stories, which are able to inspire others to feel more confident about their own ability to shape their lives. You know, people begin to think outside of their specific community, to their province, to the country, to mm. the world. And these are steps that all activists need to take. Being able to be ambitious, to be political, to embrace their own voice, it's very difficult. To have the self-esteem to be able to do that was 
probably one of the biggest challenges that I faced, certainly in my early career, to fully embrace the fact that I've got voice, you know, and an opinion. But the art, of course, is putting it across as just another opinion rather than old-fashioned BBC Voice of God sort of style. <laughs> yes. It's interesting you talking about your hope to inspire people to ask questions and to examine their own lived realities in relation to the subject of the film. And as we have these conversations with activists across a range of different fields, it keeps coming back to that idea that it starts with me looking at myself. And the work is not to look outwards, but to inspire a deep introspection about my own complicity with whatever is occurring. Oh, that's critical. I mean, that's what really makes successful films successful. It's really about making our audience complicit in what they see. And that's what moves people to shift in their consciousness or shift from a passive to an active mm. space. So anyway, when you can do that, or when we feel complicit and feel that, you know, doing nothing actually is part of the problem. Exactly. The, the films yeah. inspire social change. Yeah. But it's not enough, it's never enough just to have a film. You need stuff for people to be involved in. You finish a film and you fire people up. What do they do? What can I do? Now there's an onus on us, given the polarisation, the depth of the crisis, to continually ask those questions, mm. particularly if you're, you consider yourself a political filmmaker. Mm. Don't get involved in films where there's nothing for people to do afterwards. <laughs> you have to accept that some of those things have a life of their own and yet also leverage them to the extent that you can. You know, yeah. How do you leverage the Emmy? How do you leverage the Cannes Film Festival to service the minor? Trying to create that connection between those worlds is tricky but if you can do it well then brilliant you're sort of using the medium mm -hmm. for a level of impact when we make films it's really what impact the making of the film has had on us as humans what development is forced yeah. because you're putting yourself in situations you know when you're following stories and you become part of the story you're wrapped up in the story you're living the story you know you're living it with people and that sort of shifts you into different zones, out of previous zones where you were comfortable. It forces you to take life a bit more serious. You realise the stakes are big for most people. I mean, it seems to me you're talking about kind of taking control of the narrative, yeah. owning our ability to shape the narrative. Yeah. And I think that having spent time watching where you came from, it really strikes me as such a powerful statement of how you are your father's son and you're very much not. You have made mm. a decision that a part of that story ends and another part you'll carry on in your own way. So thank you for bringing all of that to us, not just yourself as filmmaker, but yourself as a man and as a person. Thank you. Rihad describes himself as a storyteller, and in our conversation he reminds us of the power to rewrite our own stories. He sees personal transformation as a creative process, a revolutionary act of rewriting his own script and inviting us to do the same. He says storytelling has the power to pull people towards our truth and to shine light on the parts of ourselves that may otherwise be kept in the shadows. Rihad's approach to activism is dependent on this emotional integration, 
as the key to individual and collective change. For me, the most poignant takeaway is that relationships are the basis for social change, that we can break patterns and shift social narratives one relationship and one connection at a time. Courageous Conversations is supported by the Ford Foundation and produced by Jen Warren, with music courtesy of Benjamin Verdery. Follow us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Courageous Conversations. You can also visit gillianreilly.com slash podcasts for more information or to listen online. And we have a new website. Visit soundpage.fm slash courageous conversations. Thanks for listening.